Um, at this time, I'd like to call up Kirsten and Daryl Reinford. Oh, they're hidden. <laughs> it's like last time they were there. Um, one of the, the joys of this church is that we get to walk together um, in different seasons. For Sometimes the season is a year or two. Sometimes the season is the college years. Sometimes the season is until you move away. Um, uh, but always, it's, it's a joy and a blessing. And, and for Kirsten and Daryl, that season's been a little bit longer. Um, I think it's been decades. Um, and it's been as diverse as serving as children pastor to serving internally as deacons. Um, in this body, in this community, we've really been blessed by their voice and their witness, um, not just internally, but also to our city and region as they've addressed with their life and witness things as diverse as food security or insecurity is probably a better word, um, but then also something like loving our people who are coming out of incarceration. Um, but as they prepare to go in a new direction, we want to give them a chance to, I don't know, I said the bad word last time, so it's not goodbye, um, but we want to give them a chance to just share a little bit and then pray for them um, as they head off. Thanks, Pastor Hank. Um, some of you may not know us because we really haven't been in uh, here at Worship Much the last two and a half years since the pandemic, but um, as Hank said, we started here in 2000, so it has been 20 years, and Kirsten served as children's pastor for a number of years, um, and yeah, we are still in the area. We live in Mechanicsburg, and we plan on staying there, but uh, we felt uh, God's call to be a part of a new fellowship um, uh, that's just getting started, and so we're looking forward to being involved with that more fully, and knowing that um, we aren't going to be here on Sunday mornings, um, didn't want to just slip away. Um, we really have valued this community. The community has been an incredible blessing to our family. And uh, so we just, yeah, encourage you to keep blessing each other. And we look forward to continuing to be in touch. Uh, I, again, as, as we're over on the West Shore now, we're always looking for ways to continue to be a blessing uh, on the East Shore, wherever we're at. Um, I also just want to say a big thank you to the congregation for your support of Christian Churches United where I work. Um, that's just been a real blessing to me to have my home congregation be so supportive of, of the work that I've been doing. So again, uh, we certainly aren't saying goodbye, uh, but we uh, will miss being here on, on Sunday mornings and just pray that we can continue to stay connected to the community here. I'm going to come on this side. We're eco-opportunists. Last time I prayed and I touched him, so... Um, usually, um, pre-pandemic, we'd invite people up to put hands on. Um, now, only three of us are sanctified enough to put hands on. But um, I want to invite you to maybe reach your arm out as we pray for our sister and brother and their family um, as they head out. Um, our final guy, thank you so much for Kirsten and Daryl. Um, thank you for their voice. Thank you for their witness. Thank you for their deep commitment to you um, and their faithfulness to you and your people. God, I pray that you continue to let your light shine in them and through them. I pray that you continue to nurture um, and curate their voice for the people who are marginalized, for the people who are forgotten and people who are unseen. Lord, I pray that you take their life and their witness and you continue to use it for their glory. Lord, I thank you for the blessing they've been to us as a family, as a community, and even to me personally. I thank you for their friendship. I thank you for their dedicated years of service to you here. Um, and I just thank you for their future, that you are the God who continues to write their story. Lord, I pray that you bless them in ways that surprises them. I pray that you use them to be a blessing in a way that blesses our world and our people. Um, Lord, I thank you again for for this chance to, to just bless them and to send them off in, in you and to give them the, the blessing that comes not only from us as a congregation here, but united as sisters and brothers in Christ. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives inside of them. And I just pray for their children as well as they discover you and as they take out steps um, as bold as moving to Ohio um, or as bold as staying home and, and figuring out who they are. Lord, I pray that you continue to guide them and bless them. And I thank you for these parents to be able to guide them and bless them too. So Lord, thank you for our sister and brother. Thank you for their 
family. Be with them now, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. As the children and youth head to the back, um, this morning we are going to be continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. Um, we've titled this series, In Christ, as we focus on what does it mean to be in Christ. Um, so one of the things that's fascinating is, as, as, as scripture, as the scripture writers describe, what does it mean to follow Jesus? They, they do it a couple of different ways. You know, Luke, um, in his gospel, recounts three different stories of Jesus, who, when he talks about new life in Christ, um, he reckons it to, to almost as, as we who have been lost have been found. If you remember in Luke 15, he starts off talking about a shepherd. And it's almost like Jesus saying, listen, some of you are shepherds, some of you have been shepherds, some of you know what shepherding is, all of us know what sheep is, right? And if you had 100 sheep and 99 were safe but one was lost, what would you do? You would secure the 99 and you would go out and you would do anything to, to bring that one sheep back home. And when that lost sheep was found, you would celebrate. And he says, well, that pales into comparison because when one person chooses to follow Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. And then he tells another story that I used to say, like, it's almost like losing a paycheck. And, and I realized in 2022 that most of us, right, um, we do direct deposit, right? Like most of us, they pay us directly or, or most of us aren't terrified of our bosses. If we lost the paycheck, we can go and be like, hey, uh, can we have another paycheck, right? But I think uh, to go back to the essence of what Jesus is saying, forget paycheck and she lost coin, right? So if you had a job where you were paid in cash, right, and, and you lost that cash, and it would be a little bit more difficult going to ask your boss for the same amount of cash that you lost, right? But this lady, she loses the coin, and she flips the whole house upside and down. And when she finds the coin, she celebrates just like you would celebrate the cash that you found. And Jesus is like, that pales in the comparison because not only do all of heaven rejoices when one lost is found, but the angels rejoice. It's rejoicing in the presence of angels. And then, of course, he closes that Luke 15 with the parable of the two lost sons, right? The one who leaves home to realize he's lost and the one who stays home. And the father has to remind him that you're lost too, but in that story, what does the father say at the end? Come, let's celebrate, for my child who was lost has now been found. So we think about new life in Christ. One of the ways we understand it is that we were lost, but now we're found. When the, the, the gospel writer of John, when he was telling the story, he recounts of, of Jesus interacting with Pharisees. And, and they were talking about what does it mean to, to follow God and who do we belong to. And Jesus reminds them. That, that before we accept Jesus and choose to follow God, we're only enslaved to sin. And, and just like the, the, the slaves will never have the full duties of the children of the family, one of the things that happens is that when we become sons and daughters of the king, of the family, we get all the rights of the sons and daughters. And Jesus reminds us through the Gospel of John that who the son sets free it's free indeed. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? You were lost, but now you're found. You're enslaved to sin, but now you've been set free, and now you have all the rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of the king. Paul, somewhere else in the Bible, in the book of Corinthians, when he thinks about what does it mean to follow Jesus, he says, listen, it's almost as if we are now a new creation. The old has passed away, and we are now a new creation. Even more than that, Jesus, who's our representative, and we'll get into that a little bit later, right? But Jesus, who's our representative, now calls us to be his ambassadors. 
Right? Remember last week when we said the, the ancients, when they thought about representative, it's a little bit different than us, right? We have representatives there in Congress, and I'm not even sure what they do, right? And then we also have people at the Capitol downtown. I'm not sure what they do either, right? So it's not that idea of representative, right? But what it was is the ancients believed that they would choose one person who's their representative, who's their champion. So we, we talk about David and Goliath, right? That's how it was. David, when he steps into that arena, is representing all of Israel. And everything that happens to David is what Israel gets. Goliath, when he steps into that arena, is representing all of Philistine, right? And, and Goliath, the Philistines, whoever wins is who wins. And so what Paul is going to be talking about here is this idea that Jesus is our representative. So because of Jesus' victory over sin, over death, over destruction, over addiction, over affliction, because of Jesus' death and resurrection... We, as the representatives, or Jesus as our representative, gives up the spoils of victory. So everything that Jesus is entitled, we're now entitled to. And furthermore, we who've been lost and found, slaved and set free, we are now God's representatives to the world who's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And we'll get to that next week, about the second half of the chapter. But do know that Paul seems to believe that when you believe in Jesus, you ought to look like Jesus. And that your family isn't just the blood that pours through your veins, but it's anyone who's bought by the blood that pours on Calvary's tree. And, and so all these things are beautiful. We were lost and now we're found. We're enslaved and now we're free. We were, uh, we're far and now we're made near. We're new creation and Christ our representative has made us a representative. But none of them, I think, is as powerful as what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And that is we were dead. And now we've been made alive in Christ. We were separated and dead. And on our own, we could do nothing but death and destruction. But now we are alive in Christ. We were dead in sin and following the world. But now we're alive in Christ. And I probably should have read this in the New King James Version because that's what I grew up reading, right? And then New King James is just like Paul's going to keep piling it on about away from Jesus we were this and we were this and we were this and death and destruction and, and enslaved and all that. But then when you get to verse 4 in the New King James it says, but God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But God who is rich in his mercy for us because of his great love with which he has loved us. We are now alive in Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 10 verses. Again, this is in the NIV, so it'll be a little bit different. But as we read these 10 verses, I want you to think about what does it mean to be alive in Christ? What does it mean that God's love and mercy and grace is for us, is to us, and it's through Jesus Christ our Lord? Starting at verse 1, we'll also have it up front. You can follow there as well. Starting at verse 1, we read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, right? And the New Kingdom says, but God, and Ivy moves it around. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together. Our Father, God, we thank you that you are indeed the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of grace. We thank you that we who were lost have now been found in Christ. We thank you that we who are enslaved to sin have now been set free in Christ. We thank you that Jesus is our representative, not only in life, not only in death, but also in resurrection. And as our representative, he is not only saved and redeemed and rescued us, but he has chosen us to be his representatives to the world. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you this morning that we who are separated and afar have been made near through your blood. That we who are enemies of God have now been made the children of God, daughters and sons of the King. We thank you that we who were dead are now alive in Christ. God, we thank you that all that we have, all that we are, all that we could dream, all that will ever be is in Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Again, one of the things that's, that's helpful in reading through the book of Ephesians is, is recognizing and holding on to this idea that the Ephesians were a people who were, the Greek calls them iporanoi, right? There were people who were very superstitious. There were people who were almost obsessed with the spirit world, right? Like for us, it almost seems like we're obsessed with the material world, getting bigger, better, faster, and the things I can have, the things I can hold on to. The Ephesians were a little bit different. They knew about the spirit world, and in fact, they thought the spirit world needed to be consulted for everything. You want a new job? Consult the spirit. You want a new mate? Consult the spirits, right? You want a new uh, child, right? Consult the spirits. Everything that you needed to do, the spirits controlled everything, and so you had to be in line with the spirits, how you lived, how you worshiped, how you talked, everything you did. And so when Paul comes here, he wants them to know that, like, it's good that you know the spirit world is real. It's good that you know that there's more than what you can see with your eyes, but it's better that you know that Jesus is king there, too. It's better you know that Jesus is where the true power of heaven and earth, that's where it dwells. It's good that you know that you don't have to bow down to the demons and the spirits or even Satan if you bow down to Jesus. Because just like Jesus is king here, he's also king of that realm there. So Peter, well, Paul writes to say that the real power is not in your superstition or your fear. The real power is in Christ. Because all that God does is in Christ. All that we have, all that we are, all that we can dream is in Christ. Why? Because God has chosen Jesus to be God over, over heaven and earth. Christ is where the power above all things dwell. This is why we don't have to fear the spirits. This is why we don't have to fear the demons. This is why some of y'all watch horror movies and you sleep at night. I don't know how you do that, but God bless you, right? We don't have to fear the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, or the things we don't see. Why? Because Christ is king there too. And so what he wants us to do and what he's writing in the book of Ephesians is not just addressing how God has saved you on earth, but how God has power over even our superstitions, even the spirit world. And so what he's going to address in chapter 2, and the first half that we'll talk about this morning, is our heavenly condition. Because the no oil wasn't just saying the spirit world existed. It was saying you don't have to bow and be fearful of any spirit because Christ is king. But it was also saying that in this spirit world, there's a reality that Jesus has changed forever. 
So it's not just that Jesus saved you from your sins, but how you interact with that spirit world has also been elevated through Jesus Christ. And so when he talks about this uh, unmerited condition, he talks about how it's, it's, it's the grace of God that allows all of this to be powerful, all of this to be possible. It's the grace of God, that unmerited favor, that earned, unearned favor, that free gift that allows all of this to be possible. Yesterday, my, my brother's in Philadelphia, so we went to visit him for the day. And I, I realized that on the pantheon of people who annoy parents, there's grandparents, right? Like, my, my wife, I, I always joke about this. My wife, like, a snack for them growing up was, like, you know, uh, a peanut butter and celery. You know, that was, that was like an exciting snack, you know? And once a year, they got marshmallow fluff. It was a great day. It was usually their birthday, and that's it, right? And yet, six months into having my first kid, they're feeding the kid soda. And it's just like, how does this work? You know, like, it's just like, how does she get peanut butter and, 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 and celery and they get soda, right? And the, the, the next on the Pantheon is aunts and uncles, especially ones who don't have kids. So my, my brother sees the, my daughter's yesterday. The first thing he does is like, here you go, here's some money. And I'm just like, this is not how it works. Like, this is not okay. Like, this is not good, right? And I don't remember how much he gave them, but I'll tell you that one kid was just like, whoop, thank you, you know? And the other kid was just like, but why? And I was just like, ha, ah, a woman after my own heart, you know? And, and eventually she took it. She just wanted to know why, right? And, and I thought about that because if we think about God's grace, our default is to think it's just automatic, right? He's God. Of course he's gracious, right? He's God. Of course he's awesome. He's God. Of course he loves us. But like every gift we've ever received, <laughs> you have to receive it. Just like my brother handed out the money and the one kid snatched it, we have to take hold of God's grace. We have to accept the free gift. God's free gift of salvation can be free. But if you never accept it, what does it matter that it's free or not? God's grace of salvation can be offered to you. But if you never take it, you will never know the benefits. So what, what Paul is going to write here to the Ephesians is that God's unmerited favor has been given to you, but you have to accept it. And there's two things that are going to show God's favor. The one is salvation for the individual when God saves you. And the second one, which we'll talk about next week, is that the kingdom is going to look like Jesus. And that kingdom that looks like Jesus isn't just about ideology, right? It's about it being multi-ethnic from the beginning. From the beginning, the family of God that looks like Jesus is a multicultural, multi-ethnic kingdom. And so what he's going to uh, kind of push us next week is remind us that it doesn't matter that you're a Jew. And it doesn't matter that you're a Gentile, which I like because that's everyone else. <laughs> you know, I love that the Jewish people, they're just like, there's Jews, there's all these nations and tribes, which you can call them Gentiles. That's all of y'all, right? But Paul's going to say... It doesn't matter if God chose you first in the Old Testament, but Jesus died for us all. It doesn't matter that you grew up in church or you don't even know how to say pastor, right? When God chooses you and you enter this family, we all belong to God. We belong to each other. But we'll talk about that next week. But Paul's point in Ephesians is that what's changed is our heavenly condition. What's changed has happened in the spirit world. And then next week is going to show the change that should happen in our world, right? Because our world loves to separate us. And God seems to think we ought to be reconciled to one another. But we'll get to that next week. In this passage, Paul's going to begin by explaining the significance of who we were before Christ. Before we chose to follow Jesus. Before we get to verse 4 in the New King James, it says, but God. And he begins by saying that we were physically alive, yet spiritually dead. And for me, right, like when I read this as a kid, this is before like zombies became cool. 
right? Like, now there's, like, about 100 zombie shows and movies and stuff out. Like, The Walking Dead exists. Like, the closest I had to that as a kid when I read, but you were you spiritually dead or physically alive and dead, was Michael Jackson Thriller. Like, that was my point of reference. And I was just like, what is this man even talking about? Like, we come all ghoulish and we dance? Is that what we do? Right? But what Paul is speaking isn't about zombie life. He seems to believe that you can be physically living and breathing and still dead. Because when the Bible talks about death, it means separation. And he means that you might be breathing and thinking you're doing your best, but you're not getting the life that comes from God. You're not getting the breath of God, the light of God. You're not living according to God. You're living according to yourself, and you're dead, and you're separated. Another way to explain this is this idea that you might be living this life, but you're trapped. And I want to apologize before I go on to Billy the hamster or any hamsters you might have in your house. I'm not talking about that hamster. I'm talking about you. And I'm going to ask you to use your little creative juices here to, to kind of paint the illustration yourself. I would never talk about a hamster in a bad way, right? But this is you. I think a good way to understand when Paul says we're living a purposeless life, we're living life without Christ, a good way to understand it is the hamster, not your hamster, but a hamster lives inside of some kind of cage, right? And then what does the hamster do for fun? They get on the wheel and they keep going and going and going, yet going nowhere. And so when Paul explains to us that we are, are physically alive but spiritually dead, it's like we are like the hamster on the wheel that keeps going and going and going nowhere. But it's also that we are trapped in that cage, on that wheel, living a purposeless life of selfishness, of sin. And if you know Paul, he likes to pile it on thick. So he begins by saying, all of you think you're breathing, but you're dead. <laughs> you think life is good, you're separated from God. And you're like, wow, that's a hard word. He's like, I got more. Not only are you dead and apart from God, it's almost as if you're just trapped. You're just going, 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 and going nowhere, right? And you're living purposeless. Not to mention you're not only purposeless, but you're selfish and sinful. Like whatever line God made, you cross it. Whatever aim God tells you to aim, you miss it. And you're just like, Paul, I think I'm good. He goes, then I got more. And the more is what? That we have been deceived by spiritual forces of evil. So piled on to us being separated from God, of living purposeless, of being a, a hamster on a wheel, of being trapped in a cage, of living away from God without the breath of God, he also says, be careful because we are being deceived by dark and spiritual forces of evil. One of the things that's important to remember about the ancients, especially the people he's writing to, they believed in the spirit world. Right? They believed that these demons were out there for their destruction. They believed that Satan was in power over all things. And so Paul says, how it shows up isn't Satan stubbing your toe. How it shows up might be in principalities and powers, in structures and systems. How it shows up might be in ways that oppress and marginalize. How it shows up might be in ways that takes the joy of God from people. How it shows up, and I think this is maybe the most convicting one is that we get convinced that our desires apart from God are still good. And Paul seems to believe that if you're dead to Christ, if you're separated from God, if you're trapped in the cage, if you're just following the desires of this world, if you're just following the desires of your heart away from God, Paul seems to believe that only needs to danger and disaster and destruction. 
And that's very contrary to our world. Our world tells us that you need to, to, to live all your desires, right? Like if you desire, you should achieve it, you should do it. And Paul seems to believe that if it's only about your desire, it only leads to death and destruction. And he says part of the deception that we've uh, uh, encompassed is that we believe that our desires are so central and we ignore that it leads to disaster and destruction and danger. Paul seems to believe that it's not enough for you to say the world is not as it should be. But you got to take a step back and realize that if the world's not as it should be, and if we're dead and we're not living in Christ, and we're trapped in a cage, and we're following these world's rules, not only is the world not as it should be, but what the world values is going to contradict what God values. What the world says is important isn't what God's going to say is important. How the world wants to build isn't how God builds. So, so, so you have the world living this right and wrong. And then on top of that, because Paul likes to pile on, you have Satan, the devil, that can't wait to work with you in that state. When you're apart from God. When you're not living for God but living for yourself, when you're living for the world or by the world's rules, you have a sit in the devil who can't wait to work for you. Then you get to verse 4, and then the New King James says, but God. Despite we who were lost, but God were found in Christ. Despite being enslaved to sin, but God we can be set free. But God, because of his great love for us, because of his great mercy for us, has sent Jesus to be our representative. And I talked about that in the beginning, and it's beautiful because Paul in his writings is going to remind you that Jesus doesn't just go down into the arena and dies on Calvary's tree, but Jesus is your representative in life. If you want to know what it means to follow God, follow Jesus. He's your example. If you want to know what it means to, to follow Jesus, then go back to the cross and realize it's giving up of yourself, of sacrificing, of dying to sin and be raised to new life. That Jesus, who is not only our example in life, our example in death, Paul now seems to believe that Jesus is our example in resurrection. Because like I said earlier, everything our champion wins, we get. So we miss the significance of what he's saying because as he's talking about this heavenly realm, he's saying, you fear the spirits. Guess what happens when Jesus is resurrected? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so in that spirit world that you're scared of, because Jesus is your king, your Messiah, your champion, when Jesus is resurrected and seated at the right hand of God, guess who's seated with God too? You are. You don't have to fear the spirits because the God who's above it all has raised you above the spirits. You don't have to fear the world and the systems and structures. And hear me clearly, this does not mean that you're not going to be pained by systems and structures, right? This doesn't mean you're not going to be pained by, by chauvinism or, or racism, right? This doesn't mean that you're not going to be pained by Americanism even, right? But it does mean that spiritually in the heavenly realm, God has exalted you above it. And a reminder to you, and I think what's beautiful here is Paul wants your mind, Right? He wants you to know that no matter what you're facing, God is still king. And I see this in the witness, right, of African Americans who chose to follow Jesus while they were enslaved. Because they knew the future might not be what they dream of, but they chose to put a trust in God that says you're more than the slavery they put you in. I see it in the, the witness of people who flee their countries based on things that we do as America, and they try to come to our country, and we kick them out. I see it in their faith in a God that says, I will belong. I will find a home. 
And so when we think about all of this, right, God is saying Christ is our representative in resurrection. That means we're seated above demons, above institutions. And then there's a part I love. I don't read this even in the New King James or in the, in the NIV. Because not only has God raised us up above all these things, but he does it for the future to come. Verse 6 says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say, God doesn't just save you for you, for God so loved the world. And what's beautiful here is Paul is making this argument that when God saves you, the world is changed forever. Because when you submit to God and you're faithful to God where you are, the people around you are going to be influenced. And if you go back to Luke chapter 15, if by how you live, by what you do, by what you say, by your life and witness, if it leads one person to choose to follow Jesus, what happens? All of heaven rejoices. The angels rejoice. God says, welcome home, my son or daughter. Paul wants us to know that when we choose to follow Jesus or when God saves us through his grace, it's not just for us, it's not just for the world, it's to the testimony that goes on forever. Because when God saves you, he changes your identity, your destiny, your reality. But when God saves someone else through you, guess what happens? He chooses their identity, their reality, their destiny too. So God saves us, not just for us, not just for the world, but for future glory to come. Because when God saves you, he gives you work to do. He gives you lives to live. He gives you witness to be faithful to. And when you're faithful to God there, you can change the world too. Somebody ought to say amen to that. There you go. But God, in his great love and mercy, saves us. This isn't just about God forgiving us, because he does. It's about God joining us to resurrection life in Christ. And this is why I think the Holy Spirit can dwell inside of us. I get the Old Testament Holy Spirit, because I am not perfect, right? I get the Holy Spirit being like, okay, for 10 minutes, Hank, I'm going to come upon you. We're going to do this thing, right? Like, we're just going to do temporary. We're going to forget who you are. We're going to come upon you. We're going to do this deed. But yet, in the New Testament, we're promised not only does the Holy Spirit come, but it dwells inside of us. And so your question ought to be like, how is that possible when I'm not perfect? How is that possible when I sin every day? How is that possible when I'm sinning right now, right? Like, right with what I'm thinking, well, it's possible because when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, I told you something changes in the spirit world. And that's what it means to be in Christ. The reason the Holy Spirit can now live inside of you is because God doesn't just see Hank. He sees his son. The reason the Holy Spirit can rest inside of you isn't because of your holiness, isn't because of your frailty and your sin. It's because when God looks at you, God sees Jesus. And that change in the heavenly realm is what makes it possible that the Holy Spirit can now live inside of you. Because when God created us as these new beings, he doesn't see us as the lost children anymore. We have all been found. He doesn't see us as the enslaved anymore. We have all been set free. He doesn't see us as the dead anymore. We're not the thriller people, right? I almost did the thriller dance, but I didn't think I was ready. But he sees us as alive in Christ. And part of the proof of this alive in Christ is that God now calls us and gifts us with a new calling, with new tasks, with new purpose. 
And even more beautiful than what the calling and task and purpose is God invites us into God's family. And I don't think we do enough of work (laughs) of thinking about the significance of that. Paul is saying to these people that in your culture, the slave can never be a son or daughter. When we're adopted into Christ, when we're adopted into God's family, we now become daughters and sons of the king. Paul is saying, we who were dead are now alive. We who were probably running from the Holy Spirit now has this Holy Spirit living inside of us. We who are far have now been made near. We who were enemies are now God's family. And and so the question for us becomes, as we think about what does it mean to be alive in Christ, the first question you have to ask yourself this morning is, am I alive in Christ? Truly alive in Christ. And I don't mean on fire, right? Because fire can come and go. Fire can burn and fizzle out, right? When I think about being on fire for Christ, I, I think about like hiking, right? It's just like most of our lives, we're going up this hill, going up this hill, and it might be five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, right? And you get to the top of the mountain, you see the view, and it's amazing. But at some point while you're up there, you think what? Oh, man, I got to go back down, right? And and so there's this fire that we live in, right? And this fire that we have for God, it might fizzle and go up and down. But alive in Christ is a reminder that God's with us, not just at the mountaintop, not just when we're shining brightly, but God's with us as we're trekking up this hill. That God's with us as we're looking at the view. That God's with us as we're going down the hill. And that God is with us when we're still stuck in the valley too. Alive in Christ. Alive in Christ means that God's life is so much in me that I was dead and now I'm alive, yes. But I'm living in a way that pleased him. Because here's the thing, we all live in a world that's going to tell us its set of rules. So the challenge to us of how am I alive in Christ is to ask about my identity, my destiny, my reality, what I work for, what I live for, what I value. Does Jesus have the ultimate authority? And that's hard for us. You know, some of the the identities I carry in everywhere I go is, yes, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a cousin. I'm I'm a pastor, I'm a friend. Right? I I carry, I'm a Liberian, I'm black, right? I'm black in America. That's another one, right? I carry all these identities everywhere I go. But if I'm alive in Christ, none of these should matter more than my identity that is Christ himself. All of these should live in submission to Christ. We live in a world that says whatever your identity is, right? And for some of us, it's our education level, our bank account, or or who we say we are, who we know. The whole world's going to say that should be most important. And God is going to say, do you submit that to me too? And that's hard work. Am I willing to carry my cross and submit that to him? Because alive in Christ means Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Alive in Christ also means that I'll stop saying the devil made me do it. Right? And I'm not just talking about when we stub our toe. I'm talking about when we choose to willfully sin against God or when we miss the mark. When we cross the lines that God has established. Alive in Christ means like like David even, we come back and ask for forgiveness. We make reconciliation. We do the work of reparation. We come to God and ask God to set us free. Because God's grace towards us is more than just favor. It's bringing life to the dead. And I love that in this passage and elsewhere in Romans, Paul talks about two things that is beautiful. He says, listen, 
All of you have been justified. Not by the law, not by what you do, but by your faithfulness to Christ. But before you even get to the justification, I need you to be reminded that even your salvation is a free gift of God. That God has rescued you in Christ. And because God has rescued you in Christ, that grace isn't just a favor to you. That grace is a reminder to you that you fully belong to him. And I love the end of this verse because Ephesians 2.10 is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, for we are God's workmanship. In the Greek, there's this idea of a, a poemia, which is like a poem, but it's like a masterpiece, right? Like something you work hard on crafting. When I worked with youth, I used to tell them this, and I realized now that I'm working primarily with adults, I got to tell you all this too, right? Like, you need to be reminded that God spoke the world into existence, but took its time to make you, you. And the significance of that. Because there's so much in our culture and ourselves that makes us downplay who we are, right? And we see our faults, and that's, that's good. There's work to be done there. But you are God's workmanship. You're God's masterpiece. He says you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And the idea here is that God's going to give you a new gifts, new purpose, right? But everything that you are is because of Christ, and everything you do should be for Christ. John Foreman, who's one of my favorite people in the world, right? And I can say that because I met him five times, so we're BFFs. He just doesn't know that part. John Foreman primarily sings with a group called Switchfoot. And like Pastor Ryan shouted out 90 CCM, and I felt like it was a little disparaging because there were some saints in the 90 CCM. There was like four or five of them, but they were there, right? And I think John Foreman comes out of this, and I actually think Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, especially verse 10, is found in this album called A New Way to Be Human. And I think what's beautiful about this album is he's trying to answer this question of what does it mean that, that, that what, what does it mean our identity is in Christ? What does it mean that this world doesn't fill us? What does it mean that we can't fill ourselves, right? And his answer is that when Jesus comes, he gives us a new way to be human. And I want to read this quote that John said um, or regarding the song. And he says, what do we really want to say to the world? There are three main themes. The inability, we have an inability to find completion in our modern society. We have an inability to find completion within ourselves. But the new way to be human is what Christ offers us. And what Christ offers us is his love and perfect plan of redemption for us. When we say we're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, when Jesus comes on the scene, he invites you to a new way to be human, a way that looks like him, a way that's full of love and mercy, compassion, and grace, but a way that pleases the Father because you who were dead have now been made alive. Amen? And your world gets to see it, be blessed by it, be changed by it, be moved by it. But this new way to be human is what we've been created to do. I'd like to invite up the worship team. We're going to close with a song that we've sang here before, Death Was Arrested. Um, as we sing this song, I'd like to invite any of the pastors in the room to please come up front. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you want to respond to something in the service, or, or maybe you want to respond, or you need help or prayer for something going on. We'd love to pray for you. But as we sing this song, I want us to hold on to this idea that what Jesus did has made us alive. And the challenge for us is what does that look like, right? What does being alive in Christ look like for you? What is the faithfulness God is calling for you? Because it's not just about what happened on Calvary. It's about what happens in you today. Let's stand and sing together.
Alone in my sorrow and dead to my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Oh, ash was redeemed, only beauty remained my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, now life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, he faithfully he canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested in my life began oh your grace so free washes over me you and me Darkness rejoices, though heaven has lost. But then Jesus rose, the freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes
I wanted to close um, by reading the lyrics to, to that song, New Way to Be Human. Uh, special plug here, that is a great album. It has some bangers on it, like Let That Be Enough, right? Um, Amy was a fighter, she cut like Cassius Clay, that's a great line. Um, but, but the title of the, the whole album is, is The New Way to Be Human. As I thought about this passage this week, I thought that was a good benediction because I think he's able to capture not just what's shared in that quote, but the lyrics of the song goes like this. Every day it's the same thing. Another trend has begun. Hey kids, this might be the one. It's a race to be noticed and it's leaving us numb. Hey kids, we can be the ones. With all our fashion, we're still incomplete. The God of redemption could break our routine. There's a new way to be human. It's nothing we've ever been. There's a new way to be human, a new way to be human. And where is our inspiration when all the heroes are gone? Hey kids, could we be the ones? Because nobody's famous and nobody's fine. We all need forgiveness. We're all longing inside. There's a new way to be human. It's nothing we've ever been. There's a new way to be human. It's spreading under my skin. There's a new way to be human where divinity blends with a new way to be human. You're throwing your love across my impossible space. You've created me. Take me out of me and into a new way to be human. You're a new way to be human. Redemption begins. You're a new way to be human. As we think about what it means to be alive in Christ, may we be reminded when Jesus comes down, he shows us how to live. When Jesus dies, he shows us that sin and death and destruction can be forever defeated. But as Jesus is raised from the dead, he allows the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and all of us by how we live, by what we say, by what we do, by what we think, with our faithfulness to God, we can, in our world where we are, show the world a new way to be human. And like every good Sunday school answer, the new way to be human is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you're the God of hope, of mercy, of grace, of love. Lord, we thank you that today our hope is in you. All that we have, all that we could dream, all that we can be is because of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, that you didn't give us what we've earned, that though we were far, you brought us near, that though we were slaves, you set us free, that though we have lost, you have found us in Christ. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you for being our Messiah, our King, our representative. We thank you for living the life that shows us how to live to please God. We thank you for going into the arena of Golgotha, of dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that by conquering sin and death forever, we can be set free. Father, we thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you raised him from the dead. You've exalted him to the heavenly realms. He sits at your right hand. So Holy Spirit, help us to live not according to the ways of this world, but help us to live in Christ. Help us to live in submission to the Holy Spirit. Help us to live in a way that we're showing our world this new way to be human. That all that we are, all that we have, all that we can be, all of our gifts, all of our dreams, all that we say, all that we do. Let it point everyone back to you. 
For God, you have saved us to welcome us into your family, but you've also saved us because you so love the world. So now, Lord, as we leave, we pray for your blessing as we go out into our everyday scenes. God, help us to be faithful as you have been faithful. Help us to be loving as you have been loving. Help us to be merciful as you have been merciful. Help us to be gracious as you have been gracious. For this new way to be human is looking like our Christ. So may we, in all that we say, in all that we do, glorify you. In your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.